0: that i was trying to get sober hanging out with these other people and they
1: really didn't support me we are going for Dog in t minus 30 all systems are the and on this episode of the great escape podcast i'm talking to mike collins and i'm gonna let mike introduce himself so mike tell us a bit about yourself and what your life was like before you decided to make some change
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this work that you're doing. Um, We talked a little bit before the uh, episode, and it sounds like an exciting project that you're on, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, I have a podcast version. I'll do it, uh, you know, as succinctly as possible. Um, But, uh, you know, as far as the alcohol and drugs, I'm going to reverse engineer this a little bit, but when I was, you know, about thirteen or fourteen, um, I was using basically. I mean, maybe I shouldn't reverse engineer. Maybe I'll do it all the way through, and so that people maybe see a new, maybe it catches people. One of the things that's happened in my practice is that when I became uh, out, if you will, open about my substance use disorder then the business of helping people get off sugar seemed to accelerate for people who were at one time in recovery or are still. So the short version is, you know, my mom was a sugar junkie and um, she was the sweetest, wonderfulest mother that you ever had, but she definitely, she didn't drink really, and she had this very, pretty severe sugar addiction. And She was just, uh, when, her, when she was about eight, her mother died. It was kind of tragic, and uh, they moved in with an aunt, her and her father. And across the street was an uncle who owned the general store. And because she was so you know, young and everything, and they were working, she thought that it would be okay that anytime she walked over to the store, she could have anything she wanted, and they had an account for her. And so she didn't even have to pay. So she would just go over and get her candy every day, and that started a lifelong sugar addiction. And, and for me and for us kids, the same thing happened, right? we uh you know we had sugar on our cereal and it was like a half an inch in the bottom to scrape up and we had sugar and butter sandwiches and we had um kool-aid we made the kool-aid with the almost amazing amounts of sugar not anything like the recipe you know and so that went on and i didn't realize i think most people don't realize and my theorem theory and my my practice is that um that sugar is the original gateway drug. It's the original way to change your state right to change how you feel about things and it's because it's free almost or damn near free and ubiquitous and everywhere you can always access some whether in the home or out for very little money and so a culture has developed that since a child was crying instead of leaning down and getting with them and saying what's wrong honey we just stick it a- cookie in their mouth and because and, we're busy right and so we create this lifelong uh, cha- change of state with the substance use and over the last five years this has been proven out that this is truly affecting your brain chemicals and your emotions so in my life when I turned about 13 years old um, there's a uh, uh, you know, beer came into the picture, and and I was it was I was able to talk to girls, and, and uh, something changed again, and another another state uh, with change evolved. Right, um, there's a great quote uh, going back to the sugar and the sugar sandwiches on on YouTube. Eric Clapton talking with Ed Bradley of sixty Minutes, and and there is is, seven million dollar. Treatment center in Antigua, and they said, he's and Ed says, so this all started with heroin, right, uh, Eric? And he says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And Ed says, sugar. He says, yeah, we I used to eat bread and sugar sandwiches when we were when I was young. it would change my state. Well, the same thing. I did the exact same thing. It was so amazing that he was eating these same sandwiches that I was eating. So anyway, um, I'm going to short circuit, and you can ask any questions you want about the. The drug and alcohol part, because honestly, I don't think the substance is relevant. Um, but when I turned 13 and was drinking, and uh, you know, drank all the way through co- high school, college, ran some um, large nightclubs in college, and then literally was in the nightclub business, running really large nightclubs um, till I was about 28. I, I substituted alcohol and drugs for the sugar in my life. And it was more powerful, it worked better until it didn't. And I'm sure you know you know that experience. It, it didn't stop working and stopped the, ne- the negative results were worse than the positive results. But in essence, I hadn't changed anything except the substance, right? And when I got off of the, sh- the uh, drugs and alcohol at twenty eight years old, I, uh, um, I substitute the, I came right back to the sugar. I was drinking in caffeine and flour, and I was drinking 16 I don't know if they have it over there Mountain Dews, 16 ounce Mountain Dews, the highest caffeinated soda on the market before the energy drinks came out and uh, it was like uh, six, or, six or eight of those a day plus candy and sugar and, and pizza and pasta I didn't really eat any, any meat or any vegetables it was all pasta and sugar products And I'm a thin, athletic guy, and and I gained 25 pounds really quickly. And, you know, my face was all red and uh, worse than when I drank and dark circles under my eyes. And here I was thinking I was getting quote-unquote sober and I was beating myself up more. So I started studying a little bit and I got a book called Sugar Blues. And Sugar Blues was written by a guy who uh, he was at a cocktail party one time or or in a van or a... And he uh, was getting two lumps of sugar in his coffee, and behind him a voice says to him, "I wouldn't have that in my house, let alone my body." And he knew the voice; it was Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star, right? And he turns around, and they start talking. And anyway, he ends up marrying Gloria Swanson, and as his her fourth husband, and they together after the book was uh, printed uh, promoted the book. Uh, she helped him promote the book. And I read it, and I just kind of uh, it caught my interest because to me it was the exact same thing that I had been through in recovery from drugs and alcohol. <clears throat> I went through normal kind of tw- meetings and and that kind of stuff, and I didn't go to treatment, but I was very heavily into the meetings, and and when I and and, and it really helped, and I've been sober now for almost thirty five years, thirty four years, and but the sugar thing was like, I mean. I just became aware, and then quickly I, I married a woman in recovery and we raised two sugar-free children. I literally used my own children as guinea pigs um, from the womb till they were six years old. No flour, no sugar, no caffeine. And the experiment worked. I just believe that first thousand days is so important for folks um, to, to to help for the brain health and the development of a child. And so I went on to have a regular business life. I did okay in business. Um, I was still active in sobriety. I didn't use sugar. My kids never use sugar it, after six, only once a month at the outside birthday parties. Um, and I just had a regular life. I sponsored, I, you know, I helped people with addiction. Um, it was kind of a regular life. So about 10 years ago, I grabbed the domain sugaraddiction.com. And I started putting out products, just information, kind of like Sugar Blues. I wanted people to have that aha moment that I had. Well, I didn't get much feedback and I didn't get really much results until about two or three years ago. I decided, what, I, you know, what do I want to do with my life? You know, I'm pushing 60 years old. And, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And uh, I decided that, you know, I wanted to help people get off sugar. So I started coaching and helping people get off sugar and started small groups both in person and in online and then the magic started happening. So in essence I was replicating the the exact same recovery that I did for alcohol and drugs for sugar. And so that that uh, evolution, you know, like I, said, like I said, that's the podcast version, uh, the short version of the whole thing. i am open to any questions, I'm pretty open about it all. Um, any questions about it, but it's been uh, just an evolution and an understanding. I'm a big believer in evolution. I think Recovery, you and I were talking about it before that you know things change as people as the science and I do want to add one last thing is that in the last five years there's been huge advances in the brain sciences and it's dopamine, and serotonin, oxytocin, uh, adrenal glands even, uh, norepinephrine, GABA, all these things that Basically, drugs hit. You know, it's not the drug that gets you, or the alcohol that gets you, or the sugar that gets you. It's what they do to these these reward systems in the brain. And with sugar being now, uh, with the advent of high fructose corn syrup 30 years ago, and fructose is the worst. I mean, fructose is the offending molecule, as they say. And I believe a psychoactive drug when it's pound in the dopamine system day in and day out all day that the dose dependency is 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 really messing with your your brain chemicals and your you know causing anxiety a lot more than what people believe is just the diet and the diabetes and the overweight and these other things that they cause it really is in our world in my world I'm the chairman of the Board of a Food Addiction Institute that's been around since a nonprofit that's been around since 2005 And our stated goal is to make people understand that this is a substance use disorder. This is not um, you're eating too much. This is not you've got a little sweet tooth. For about a third of people, this is a biochemical reaction that they just can't handle in their body. So anyway, and again, it it has a lot more to do with the mind than the body. So anyway, that's that's the short version. I'm again open to any questions that you want.
1: Well, I guess that the. The key question for me, you know, there was a point where you thought both with the the alcohol and the drugs and then with the sugar, this has to change. You know, and I'm, I'm interested in what that trigger was for you that you said, you know what, this life can't continue like this.
0: Yeah, I do have the... Um uh, the trigger moments, the aha moments. I, I always wanted an epiphany. I always wanted a burning, burning bush, but I never got one. Um, it was slow. It was actually slower. Well, no, that's not true. One of the things is I tried for by myself for a long time on a lot of them. I have an interesting a, uh, addition to the drugs and alcohol. I quit drinking alcohol when I was 23 years old. Um, I did drink a little bit uh, for a couple times during the times the five years between 23 and 28 but um, this thing that helped me stop alcohol was I would wet the bed <laughs> I would drink a case of beer and I would be so blasted that I didn't even realize that I was you know and my body probably was anesthetized to the point where it didn't realize until the halfway in evening or the morning that I that I'd done this and that is just not acceptable right and I hear it I don't hear many people talking about it probably that wise but I don't really care anymore because I'm tired of substance use disorder of every kind in the on the planet it's, it's it's not something we need and life can be much better and so but when I get when I, the, the the drug thing uh, I continue with pot and coke and everything and all kind of stuff back then different stuff and luckily I didn't hit the crack cocaine stuff or the opioid crisis. I might not have made it out, but um, the drug thing. Cocaine brought me to my knees. Um, I was able to smoke pot every day all day, but cocaine was just. I was really skinny, and I was like, it was just ridiculous. And, and I was running one of those large nightclubs, and you know, the dealers would use my office to transact act business, and I would get a little cut, you know. And I walked out one time and there was five of them standing at the bar and I, I went out the back door. and I went to a meeting, not that night but the next day. And that was pretty much it. So but when you got when I got to the sugar, I was there was not a lot of support back then, right? So the turning point was um, I would try by myself every morning and I get this on my email and messenger and in the groups all the time, is that when you start in the morning, trying to quit and then by four o'clock you're back in the sugar, right? <laughs> and then so, it's like anything, alcohol or drugs, but... And I really couldn't do it. I mean, so I started a weird protocol and I try, and I quit caffeine first and then sugar second and flour third. I put it in, in order and we follow that protocol to this day uh, for folks that are having difficulty. Um, but the short version is that I was like I said I was up about 25 pounds my face was pimples all over I was in my you know early 30's and I had you know uh, dark circles under my eyes it was insane what I that I was trying to get sober hanging out with these other people and they really didn't support me they would say you know they called me the weird weird addiction specialist and they're like are you sober today Mike I'm like yeah well well, forget about the sugar, you know. Meanwhile, they're getting diabetes and uh, they're having, um, you know, problems with their uh, weight and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it was just an awareness. It was that book that I mentioned, but it was also the idea, the fact that I couldn't do this alone. I mean, I literally, it took me a year to quit sugar, a year to quit, no, a year to quit caffeine. or between eight months in a year in each case sugar, flour, caffeine right in a row um, back to back I would start in the morning and then I couldn't you know what I mean and when I couldn't quit the caffeine for a while and then I couldn't quit the sugar, I realize now that this is it was more observational and anecdotal back then um, but I had just come out of not being able to quit cocaine or pot on my own and needing help of a group, uh, so I realized that this addiction is just as strong, because I couldn't, you know, couldn't seem to do it, so that's about, that, you know, <laughs> that was it, was, it wasn't a burning bush, it, you know, it rarely is, for, I don't know, at least for what I've heard.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing you describe about people with uh, drinking too much alcohol, you know, waking up in a wet bed is far more common than than we hear. That's a story that I've heard a number of times, uh, actually a lot from spouses of alcoholics, you know, yeah, right, exactly. waking up next to I'm a bad soggy bad. mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. um, so, that, you know, that's that's definitely a thing. And I think the thing you say about needing help, very few people actually make that transition from substance addiction to being clean without some kind of external help. It's, it's actually very rare. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, a lot of folks, like... We were talking earlier before the before the broadcast that, uh, you know, I believe in evolution. So there is a lot of change out there. And I think a redefinition of recovery, um, while I believe abstinence is required for some people, I think some people, the concept that some people outgrow, uh, substance abuse and stuff, uh, sometimes you can't. I mean, sometimes I, I, I... The numbers in the sugar thing are pretty married to the, uh, the obesity rate, both here and in, in your country, in that um, what we've discovered at the, at the Institute is that about a third of people um, are biochemically unable really to process this right, and they just sets up cravings, and these are the people that call me and write me and, and message me that they're 100, 200, 300 pounds overweight. Losing limbs, going blind, have diabetes diagnosis, and they still can't quit sugar. They literally know it is killing them, and they cannot stop. So that group is a third, and that mirrors the um, the obesity rate, and it's about a third of people. And then there's about another third who can go either way, right there, and that's kind of the overweight group. That you know, two thirds of the country is overweight, one third obese in our country and so that third can go either way and a lot of those people just buck it up and they're fine you know they they get some education and then they're done right and then there's another third who we all hate both in alcohol and drugs and sugar who can put a cookie half a cookie down and not or half a beer and just leave it and like that's it they're done we don't i don't we don't understand us we don't understand those people i
1: don't anyway those addicts (laughs) i i cannot leave a a cookie or a piece right. of chocolate. If it's on the on the plate, right. it has to be consumed. It has to long. be finished. Not um, definitely not. Yeah. No. I, I I kind of almost solved the sugar thing myself by switching to mm. very very dark chocolate. So that contains yeah. a lot less sugar, and you, you kind of need a lot less of it rather right. than just plowing my way exactly. through a, a great big you know, bar of uh, of fifty percent sugar chocolate, which is basically what's what's out there. So you've built this, this new life, which fascinatingly is based around helping people with the problems that you identified that you had.
0: Exactly. It took, it was a long time coming, but it, it finally came around. Yeah.
1: Was that deliberate or did that just kind of drift in and then one day you realized, hey, I'm doing this.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I had some success in business and it was, a lot of it was online in the last 15 years, selling software and that kind of thing. And so I I was uh, kind of aware of how to get some information out. Um, But yeah, really, as I mentioned, I raised the the kids sugar-free. And uh, one of the things that's kind of hurting my heart out there is the obesity rate in children. And that I realized that a lot of my mentors in this, the scientists, right, Um, the scientists are... Uh, a lot of them have worked with children over the years and there's they've discovered fatty liver in children which is traditionally an alcohol disease and that you know the obesity rate of children and you know kids can be mean and and, you know when they're young and you're overweight when I was young there was like one or two overweight children in a school of three thousand and so now it's a third of children and and two-thirds of them are obese you know and so you just, i just can't abide it anymore and, and it's like something that i'm willing to be a foot soldier in helping you know change this and my mentors talk about a 30-year tectonic shift like condoms in bathrooms seatbelts in cars drinking and driving smoking in public places things that in society evolved to scientifically uh with seatbelts and uh, smoking and secondhand smoke and you know, the uh, uh, the communicable diseases, the uh, sexually transmitted diseases, that, you know, we had to be more open about this kind of stuff, and that if we took precautions, we could save a lot of people. And then the stigma had to change around it, you know. And Sugar Man, the enculturated 300 years, uh, in the book they describe the, you know, the Basically, the giant English cartel that was grown uh, from the slave trade in the Caribbean, like exploded all over the world, and uh, and then it just it, w- it was no longer a substance for kings and queens, right? And it now is 150 pounds or some crazy number, and everybody, and it just got birthdays, celebrations, weddings, everything, food, dessert, everything revolves around sugar, and now. Eighty plus percent of the products in the in the supermarket have sugar in it, and so it's impossible now, almost, unless you're a pioneer or involved in another group who is separate from. And I don't want to say society, but I do. And society, and even your family, they believe in this damn moderation thing, and some people cannot moderate. Um, we know it in alcohol and drugs, and now one of the things that I am or trying to become from one of my mentors is a basically an anthropologist or a student of the uh, 12-step groups. And 40 years ago, 50 years ago, OA was founded, but OA didn't seem to work for a lot of people because um, uh, they let you name your own abstinence, right? But off of it, shot four groups that did name their abstinence, and that there's no flour, no sugar, and some of them weigh and measure, but that's not really required, I don't believe. But, um, but the people who did not use flour and sugar, in these dusty church basements, over a forty-year time, have evolved to the point that if they adhere to this abstinence-based recovery in sugar, and flour, they end up as a you know in the right size body with very little health problems, you know. And they have the normal life, but they have to go through the same kind of recovery that an alcohol and drug addict would have to go through. That's an emotional turmoil. Uh, they have, you know, There's just a lot of things they have to go through as they lose the weight and they stay off the sugar. And so this evolution happened in an anonymity uh, for 40 years, right? And now the science is here to back it up, right? They didn't have that science 20, 30, 40 years ago when they were all working it now we have the science to back up what they did anecdotally and they did uh... ritualistically over time so yeah it's uh... it's an interesting puzzle i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's an interesting you know like evolution of everything and uh... I'm just happy to be a part of it, be a foot soldier. And, and uh, you know, the, the emails and the calls you get for thanking you after somebody's lost 100 pounds or, you know, it, it's, it, you know, money's a cool thing, but that, that's much cooler.
1: Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for a really interesting uh, discussion. And we'll make sure we put your contact details and uh, links to useful organizations in the show notes.
0: Oh, I appreciate it, man. I'm really uh, happy, to, happy to do it and glad you're doing the work you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Great Escape Podcast. You can find other episodes at all the usual places on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify, or at the website greatescapepodcast.com forward slash episodes. And if you'd like to contact me to talk about any element of this episode or others have covered, please go to greatescapepodcast.com forward slash contact and you can find all the ways of getting hold of me there. And if you're stuck, in a situation and you can't find the way out please go there send me a message and let's see how we can work together to get you unstuck and moving forward with your life again please do share this podcast with your friends and family other people you think might appreciate it and comment on episodes or send me a message i'd love to keep the conversation going